0: All right, guys, I am your host, Aaron Friedman, and today I'll be breaking down the latest seven-round mock draft for the Atlanta Falcons that I posted on LockedOnFalcons.com. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Friedman, founder of Falcfans.com, one of the longest-running Falcon websites on the internet. And, of course, the host of this illustrious Locked on Falcons podcast. You can find me on Twitter, at fans tweeting up a storm about such and such. Whatever we talk about in mid-April that isn't related to the draft. All right. Anyway, so I posted a seven-round mock draft over at LockedOnFalcons.com. Go ahead and check that out. Uh, basically projecting the seven players that I think the Falcons could possibly take. So today we're going to just break down the first three picks uh, because let's be honest, that's all we really care about when it comes to who the Falcons draft. Not to say that day three picks don't matter, um, but in all likelihood those guys are just going to be you know, reserve players, special teams guys, backups like we saw with last year's class. And that's Certainly a testament to the quality of the Falcons roster, arguably a Super Bowl caliber roster. And so day three picks don't really impact Super Bowl caliber rosters very often, uh, with very, very rare exceptions. So with the first round pick, I had the Falcons for the second consecutive time of doing these seven round mock drafts on LockdownFalcons.com. I had the Falcons selecting Florida defensive tackle Taven Bryan. Um, Because I feel like he's the most likely candidate, and now that we're sort of in April, it's a little less sort of guessing and putting out picks that are interesting and more like, let's try to steer this towards some actual prediction and whatnot. So why do I think Tevin Bryan is the most likely pick? Well, that's simple, my friends. That is thanks to D. Orlando Ledbetter. Now, no offense to d led but uh, his track record isn't necessarily spotless. And I say that because uh, earlier this offseason, he basically said, oh, the Falcons uh, really want Vea Vita Vea or Deron Payne. They might even trade up for him. And so when he says that, I'm like, oh, okay, well, I can take d at his word for that. Or I can basically say, okay, the Falcons will probably wind up with David Bryant. Again, no offense to d I'm not trying to sit here and bash d But I would just say, historically speaking, In the decade plus that d Led has covered the Falcons, typically when he has said that they were going to zig, more often than not, they have zagged. That's all I'm saying. So that leads me to believe Tavon Bryant's going to be the pick. Now we'll see if the Falcons are going to trade up. That's certainly going to be a topic of conversation that we will talk about quite a bit over the next two weeks in the lead up to the draft. I've said many times myself. I don't think the Falcons should trade up, but I certainly understand if they do. I've also said that if they don't manage to come away from this draft with either Maurice Hurst, Deron Payne, Taven Bryan, or Nathan Shepherd to fill that sort of pass rushing defensive tackle role, then this draft is arguably a failure. So that sort of puts pressure on them to try to land you know, one of those guys early in the draft because if you don't get one of the top three in Hurst, Payne, or, T- or Brian in, in round one, it becomes a lot harder to guarantee that you're going to get Shepard in round two or, or later. So we'll see how that goes. I think part of the reason why I'm not as keen on trading up is because I don't really know if any of those players are slam dunks. I don't, you know, I think Maurice Hurst is the safest of the group, but I don't even know if he's a safe bet or at least a slam dunk because of the heart issue. And you do wonder potentially if that becomes a problem down the road, similar to what Nick Fairley's had in his career, where he had a comparable I don't know if it's the same because I'm not a doctor and I don't have access to his medical records. But I don't know if it's the same issue. Allegedly, reportedly, it's the same issue that Starla Tulule has had in his career. He just signed a monster contract with Buffalo. So he's going strong five years into his career. But fairly sort of petered out around, what, year six, year seven uh, in New Orleans. And whatever, his heart issues sort of got red flagged by the Saints. And they couldn't clear him to play football anymore. Um, and so you do wonder if maybe Hurts will have a shortened career for those reasons. And he's the safest of the group. I don't think Duran Payne is a prolific pass rusher. I think Payne is a safe player in the sense that I'm very confident. I'm like 97% confident that he will be a quality run defender, a high-level run defender. He'll be a 6 out of 10 maybe, you can say. Um, but I'm only like, say, 60% confident that he'll be a reliable uh, pass rusher. Um, you know, and I, I do wonder if, like, if you draft a Ron Payne three years from now, you're still going to be looking for a pass rushing defensive tackle to sort of supplant him in the lineup. Um, I think Payne will be like, I don't say that as like, oh, he won't be able to rush the quarterback at all. I think he'll, I have no little doubt that he'll be a a 20 or 30 pressure guy in the NFL. Um, you know, 20, 30 pressure guy that gets like two, three, maybe even four sacks a year, um, which is good. Um, but I do wonder if he's going to be that 40 or 50 pressure guy uh, that gets five plus sacks a year that at least some people seem to think he is. Not to say that he needs to be that guy in order to justify this pick because, again, I think he's a good first-round pick, particularly at pick 26, but um, I'm a little skeptical of his upside as a pass rusher. I think with uh, Taven Bryan, the case I'd make for Taven Bryan, um, is while he's more of a boom bust guy, I think his ceiling is much higher. So if he does hit, he has much higher potential. But there is a decent chance that we could be in a situation similar with Taven Bryan. Like if you're down on Taven Bryan, I think the case you would make is that similar to arguably, uh, this is going to sound worse than what I mean because we just came off an episode where I talked about this guy, but Vic Beasley, where you look. A couple of years down the road, and he may not be the dominant pass rusher that you want him to be. But similar to Vic Beasley, because you guys know that I'm a big believer that Vic Beasley can play linebacker at a reasonably high level, so he's not necessarily exclusively tied to his ability to generate 8 to 10 or 12 sacks a year, in my humble opinion. Um, I think similar to Taven Bryan, you can find a role for him potentially as a base defensive end, even if he's not that dominant interior pass rusher that you want him to be. And so he can sort of be our version of Michael Bennett, not saying that he'll be as good as Michael Bennett. I think he has the potential to be as good, but um, he can be a guy that even if he's not a dominant interior pass rusher, he still should be able to carve out a role as a base defensive end if he's not carving out a role as a base defensive defensive tackle I think that flexibility and that versatility is an asset with with Brian so that even if he doesn't necessarily live up to the expectations that he would have being a the Falcons first round pick you're going to be able to find a role for him it just may not be to the level that you want to be now obviously I know me saying that doesn't necessarily sell it but sometimes you know you have to look at the you know One of the issues I constantly have with people when it comes to the draft is I think people overly focus way too much on the player's ceiling, and I think this is part of the issues with Beasley and sort of the overly high expectations because everybody got enamored with the ceiling and, and people talking about him being Von Miller or Khalil Mack's sort of potential rather than really looking at his floor and saying, okay, well, maybe he's just Bruce Irving. And this goes back to something I said on a previous podcast with Dave Chote, when I said, you know, I don't know if Dan Quinn and his staff has truly developed players, that's kind of what I'm talking about where I don't know if you can say, there are some exceptions, certainly there are some examples of guys hitting their ceiling like a Grady Jarrett, but I don't know if you can necessarily say that everybody has hit their ceiling and it's more that guys consistently reach their floor, and I think that's the aspect of evaluation that I think is missed. And so I think when whether it's Payne, whether it's Hurst, whether it's Shepard, whoever it is, Brian, we do need to talk more about what these guys' floors are going to be because more often than not, that's all players wind up being in the NFL as opposed to the, the, the Julio Joneses or the Desmond Trufants or the Matt Ryans that hit their ceiling. Again, there's only a handful of guys typically per roster that truly hit their ceilings uh, in terms of their Upside and potential Devontae Freeman would be another example of that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think with, with Brian, he would be a good pick in the first round. Um, I don't have much else to say about Taven Bryan. If he winds up being the pick, we will talk about him more extensively. There is a strong probability that we will talk quite a bit about Taven Bryant later this week. So I, I don't want to give too many takes out now. But uh, we'll we'll dive deeper into Taven Bryan later this week potentially. Um, before we move on to the second round pick, I do want to remind you guys that if we're talking about the NFL draft and mock drafts, then of course you guys got to check out Locked On NFL Draft podcast hosts John Ledger and Trevor Sykema are are doing good work over there. So definitely subscribe to whatever podcast platform you can find it on. Locked On Podcast Network is on all the the platforms, basically your team every day. So in round two, I had the Falcons taking a wide receiver uh, from the University of Washington in Dante Pettis in my LockedOnFalcons.com mock draft. That was posted this past Monday. And the reason I picked Dante Pettis is, A, because he's a wide receiver and I think the Falcons are going to take a wide receiver early. I'll touch upon that a little bit later. But also because he has a connection to Steve Sarkeesian. Because Steve Sarkeesian, I wouldn't necessarily say was responsible for recruiting him. Because I, again, I don't know the details of who was recruiting who. But in Sark's last months in Washington as the head coach there, that was during the prime time that Pettis was being recruited and he eventually committed after Sark left to go to USC. Um, but I'm sure that he's very familiar with him. And you got to like the fact that. Um, Pettis does fit the offense, I'll get to that in a second, but one of the big reasons why I think the Falcons will be attracted to Pettis is because of his ability as a return specialist. He returned nine punts for touchdowns during the course of his career at the University of Washington, and Dan Quinn certainly has a fetish for overpaying, overvaluing return specialists since he's been here in Atlanta. They did this with Weems when they paid him, you know, probably a little bit more than Uh, What was like a two-year deal that averaged like a million, a million and a half a year uh, back in 2015. Then they drafted Devin Fuller in 2016. They signed Andre Roberts to a a one-year, almost $2 million deal with a significant portion guaranteed this past year. And because I think the Falcons are probably going to use one of their picks uh, between rounds two and four um, on a running back, wide receiver, and or a cornerback that probably has some return potential. Um, I think Pettis certainly fits that mold. Um, I do think the difference between Pettis and some of these other guys that I just previously mentioned, like Weems and Fuller and Roberts, um, is that Pettis has potential to impact on offense more so than those other guys. Now Roberts had more potential to impact on offense than he showed. He just didn't get really the opportunity to, because he played like 30 snaps on offense last year when he probably should have played like, I don't know, like 150 to 200 or so, if, if we're being honest, but you know, that's, you know, that's the Falcons for you. Um, And I think, you know, one of the issues is, and I've, I've talked about this before is I think, the return specialist is even more so than the fullback position, is a dying position in the NFL. And I think teams that devote a, a, a an entire roster spot to a guy that's just going to return kicks is kind of dumb. And I've been very critical of, the, you know, we tend to get overly critical of Dan Quinn on this podcast in terms of his roster decisions. Certain ones are not necessarily good. For the most part, Dan Quinn does a good job managing the roster. But there's always a couple every year that you're like, hmm, I wish you could have that one back. I wish, you know, you consult me next time, Dan Quinn, before you make that decision. Um, and so I do think at this point in time in the NFL history, given the direction, they like, now they're talking about getting rid of kickoffs. You know, that's a role that may be, you know, having a kickoff returner at all may not exist in two years. Um And so you do wonder, it's like, why are you devoting an entire roster spot to a return specialist when, like, what, 35% of punts are returned, and probably, what, less than 10% of those actually go more than, like, 10 yards, and so you're talking about 3% of plays, something like that? Um, So it's one of those things where it's like, 97% of the time, your punt returner doesn't matter, and certainly probably higher when it comes to kickoffs just because of the the rules now and so that's part of the reason why it's like why are you s- s- investing resources into this position but in the case of a player like pettis like it's fine when it's a guy that also does things on offense like we see with antonio brown like we see with julian edelman like we see with P- patrick peterson these guys that return punts for their respective teams it's not that big a deal to have a star player return punts in today's NFL. Yes, it exposes them to greater injury risk, but you're at the end of the day, you're talking about like 20, 25 extra touches a year. That's not really a huge, huge risk in my humble opinion, personally. So let's get back to what Pettis brings. I think you like his upside. I think he would fit very well in Sanu's current role in the offense as an outside receiver, And then kick inside to the slot when the Falcons go to their three wide receiver slits about fifty five percent of the time. Um, But I think the difference between Pettis and Sanu is Pettis has a lot more explosiveness to his game than either Sanu or Hardy do, uh, given that role. And I think you know while I wouldn't necessarily say Pettis is going to be a guy that's going to really take the top off of a defense vertically. I do think he does that better than what Sanu and Hardy can do. I think a a good comparison, based off what I see, I haven't sit here and scoured hours of tape. I should remind you guys I'm I'm not going to do that uh, in terms of just kind of a waste of time, in my humble opinion, unless you're putting out content prior to the draft about evaluating players. Not saying that anybody else is doing that, is, is wasting their time. But it's one of those things that it's much easier for me to just wait until the Falcons make their seven or or however many selections and then dive in on the tape as opposed to trying to watch as much tape as like 40 different guys hoping that the Falcons wind up picking some of those guys. Um, but based off of what I've seen from Pettis, I think – a decent comparison not necessarily, not saying this is the best comparison but the type of player that he could wind up being in the NFL is a guy similar to Marvin Jones which is you know Jones signed as an underneath and, 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 and a receiver in Cincinnati and then once he went to Detroit um, and they already had a player like Golden Tate doing that you saw Jones do a lot become a lot more valuable as an intermediate and vertical option in the offense and I sort of see Pettis doing that but obviously with Julio Jones being Julio Jones he's not necessarily going to be a true deep threat in this Falcons offense. I think the Falcons are going to wind up taking a wide receiver pretty early in this draft. Um, I've said many times that I think wide receivers are somewhat overdrafted and overvalued, uh, particularly when it comes to taking them in the first round. I think there's probably two wide receivers worthy of a first round pick, and both of those guys probably shouldn't be top 20 picks. I think that's DJ Moore and Calvin Ridley from what I've seen. I think I wouldn't be upset if a team took like Cortland Sutton at pick 28 or something like that. But um, I think that's really about it. And I think anybody that takes a wide receiver in the top 20 this year, unless you really love Calvin Ridley, um, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But um, I think as far as day two goes, I think Pettis is among the, the short list of guys that I'm at least intrigued enough by that I wouldn't necessarily scoff at them if they pulled the trigger in in round two or round three or something like that. Um, I think what will be interesting that the Falcons uh, wide receiver position is going to be whether or not they draft an X or a Z wide receiver. For those of you that don't know those terms, X typically refers to the split end and Z refers to the flanker. Um, But basically Julio plays the X, Sanu plays the Z. When the Falcons go to three wide receiver, Sanu goes to the slot, which is typically called the Y, as you probably could have guessed, and Hardy plays the Z. Um, last year, Gabriel was technically the backup X, but he would play, you know, it. Yeah, it's not necessarily a strict hierarchy, but he would play the Z as well when they would go three. Um, the point I'm trying to make is... Wh- it'll be interesting to see if the Falcons target more of an X guy or more of a Z guy because obviously you would look at the backup X now that Gabriel's gone would be Marvin Hall and obviously that's the bigger vulnerability given that Sanu and Hardy are are much more proven players at this point playing that Z spot and that Y spot Um, but at the same time because Sanu and Hardy both or one could be gone next year, Hardy is entering his final year of his contract in 2018 and you know, frankly, if the Falcons are going to pull the trigger on an early round wide receiver, my personal opinion is I think that should signal the end of Mohamed Sanu's career because if you're going to use that a pick, that guy needs to be starting in year two, not necessarily being a third or fourth wide receiver, um, given how little the Falcons use three wide receiver sets. We're not the, the Rams or anything like that or the Giants. Um, so I would look at it. And say if they take a Z, that's more of a future move because that's telling you that one or both between Hardy and Sanu may not be back in 2019. So that'll be the thing to keep an eye on. I think Pettis is more of a Z in my eyes. I don't necessarily have a firm enough grasp on Washington's offense to know if he played the X. I'm assuming John Ross played the X when he was there, uh, when they were playing opposite each other. Um, So let's talk about, let's wrap things up and talk about this third round pick. But I want to remind you guys to check out uh, the new part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, which is uh, Major League Baseball. You can check out a whole host of MLB podcasts on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your MLB team every day. So with the third round pick, and this will be the last pick that we discuss on this episode of the podcast. Uh, I had the Falcons taking PJ Hall, the defensive tackle from Sam Houston state. As I said, a number of times, I do believe that the Falcons must use two of their first four picks on D tackles, because I think regardless of who they get in round one, they're going to need to have to fill two spots on this roster because they lost Don Terry Poe. They lost Adrian Claiborne, who was going to be the primary pass rusher this year at that D tackle spot. Poe was going to be the primary base guy, Tabor Rubin played a, a significant base role, and then of course you have Courtney Upshaw that was sort of whatever Courtney Upshaw was—he playing base, I guess, but he also you know filled in as D tackle. And so you have four holes at that spot. You got to fill two of them, and the value, in my opinion, as I explained on the recent I think Q and A episode, I think it was um, where I think the value in this draft is really in the first four, maybe five rounds. And so the Falcons don't have a fifth-round pick, so that means they got to kind of pull the trigger. I think, you know, sort of how I view it is if the Falcons wind up landing Maurice Hurst or Taven Bryan in round one, I think they need to come back in round three or four and get that sort of one-technique nose tackle. If they land that nose tackle early in the draft with Vita Vea or Deron Payne, who's more of a run-plugger, I know Payne's probably going to wind up playing the 3 but I do think you need to try to, try to get a, guy, a quicker guy like a Nathan Shepard in round two to try to balance that out. In the case of P.J. Hall, he's very intriguing, as you guys may know if you've been on the Twitters, because his Pro Day numbers were amazing. Uh, just to throw out some numbers, using mock draftables, percentile scores, 36 bench reps at his pro day would have been the 94th percentile for defensive tackles, uh, interior defensive lineman, I should say, specify 4.7140. He was clocked out um, at 308 pounds would have been 99th percentile. Um, even if you took his slower time, which was four, eight, three, that's still 96th percentile. Um, you know, running at that speed at 308 pounds is ridiculous. I think, only like two guys ran faster than a four eight five, and according to Mock Draftables database since '99. At over three hundred pounds, Tank Johnson was one, and I can't remember the other guy. Um, his thirty-eight inch vertical in PJ Hall's is the best ever, according to Mock Draftables. The highest for interior defensive lineman was thirty-seven inches on the vertical, so that's a hundred percentile, ninety-nine point nine 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 percentile. And his 9-8 broad jump would have been 95th percentile. So, clearly, P.J. Hall is a dominant athlete. I'm I'm looking forward to what his spark score is going to be on Three Sigma Athlete when he's updated by the time we get to the draft Uh, in two weeks. I'm assuming he'll be like a 99th percentile spark athlete. Uh, given his position. So he is certainly an intriguing prospect that I think the Falcons, if they're going to try to draft him, are going to have to pull the trigger on him in round three as opposed to round four, because I don't necessarily think he's going to last to pick 126 given his athleticism, his upside and the fact that he had a reasonably good showing in the East West Shrine game. I went back and watched that East West Shrine game um, and I thought he was very impressive in the game. I don't necessarily know how impressive he was in the practices, um I watched a little bit of him at Sam Houston State, didn't watch a ton. He didn't necessarily pop to the level of dominance that you would expect from a, a guy with that athleticism playing in the FCS level, but he certainly was very productive throughout his career at Sam Houston State. I think he was a four-time All-American. FCS All-American finished his career with something like 86 tackles for loss and 42 sacks, which is ridiculous. Um, So it's one of those things where the talent is definitely there, the production is definitely there, the athleticism. So he's, he's checking all the boxes and the only issue he has is maybe he's not the most dominant pass rusher, but I think in a lot of ways he reminds me a lot of what Don Terry Poe was for the Falcons last year, and I think that's really sort of his upside as a pass rusher, not to mention his ability to be a dominant run defender with his disruptive capabilities in that way. And so part of the reason why I like this draft for the Falcons, if I can get into my own head cannon right here, is that if you, if you put this draft together, you have P.J. Hall playing that nose tackle spot In the base defense, you have Jarrett playing beside him with that three tech in the base defense. You can have Taven Bryan kicking over to the strong side defensive end uh, for Derek Shelby in 2019. This is all really 2019, not necessarily 2018 stuff, talking about where these guys are going to be in 2019 in their development, not necessarily this year. Um, And then you can have Tack playing that Leo spot, and all of a sudden, you don't really have to sub out guys on, on for passing situations. You can go hunt the quarterback, stop the run with the same four guys, given the situation, because all those guys should be effective two-way players for you. And then this is part of the reason why I'm like, Hey, let's put Vic Beasley at Sam linebacker. You get a quality man corner in round two, as opposed to taking a wide receiver like Dante Pettis. And all of a sudden you can lock, you can lock up offenses and because you have three really good man corners on the back end, all of a sudden you can start sending Vic Beasley on those blitzes. You can start sending Devontae Campbell on those blitzes. And all of a sudden you can dial up five and six-man pressures as much as you humanly want possible. Not to say that suddenly Dan Quinn's going to start pulling a Rex Ryan or a Greg Williams and just throwing all manners of blitzes every single snap. But you have that in your back pocket so that if you want to be aggressive, you want to dial up those blitzes in addition to having those four guys being able to to go out there and get the and get pressure with four guys, you can do so. And so this is part of my philosophy. If you want to talk about building that Eagles pass rush, get those D tackles. Then you can sort of, if you want, you can pull Hull off the field, kick Brian inside, bring Vic Beasy down to rush the quarterback, and all of a sudden you can do a lot more things with sort of what your pass rush is going to be. And so I think, you know, the problem that the Falcons have right now is because they have this sort of strict dichotomy between their base and nickel pass rushes. It allows defenses, offenses, I'm sorry, to kind of dictate the personnel that the Falcons use. And fortunately thanks to a testament to the quality of our coaching and the quality of our players, which is, again, one of the reasons why I don't sleep on Brooks Reed and Derek Shelby, is that hasn't been a vulnerability that has been truly, truly exposed in the last two years. So I'm not overly concerned about it because I've sort of laid awake at night worrying about the team that's going to force us to play nickel and then pound the ball down our throat or a team that's going go to go two tight ends and then just throw it all day against us because we won't be able to get pressure. That's been an issue occasionally, but not consistently. But I do like having to be able to dictate your own personnel as opposed to letting the offense do that to you. And so that's why I'm a fan of this potential mock draft, of course, because I want this to happen. It's not going to happen. So the Falcons never give us nice things, or at least mean nice things. So, um if you want to check out who I had the Falcons taking on day three of the draft, by all means, go to LockedOnFalcons.com and find that. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with a guest to discuss the Falcons draft. More in depth. In the meantime, if you want to get your feedback to me, you can do so on Twitter. Again, I'm at fans. If it's podcast related, just indicate so in the tweet. If it is podcast related, just go ahead and send it over to Locked On Falcons. That's the show's Twitter handle. Of course, you can check out Facebook. Locked On Falcons is the Facebook page. Give us a like while you're there. If you prefer email, Locked On Falcons at mail dot com is the email address. And of course, you can leave a comment on lockdownfalcons.com or falcfans.com where the podcast is posted daily. Um if you have thoughts on this mock draft, go over to LockdownFalcons.com com and, and post a comment there and I will get your direct feedback there. So guys I appreciate you tuning in for another episode of LockdownFalcons.com uh <laughs> for another episode of Locked on Falcons podcast. I'm sorry, I'm a little loopy. Um and we will be back tomorrow to talk more Falcons, and we'll be back later this week. We've got a lot of good content coming up in, in the coming this week. And uh, you guys stay locked on until then. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.